ever since I was like, I think like a teenager, I was just like in love with like American modernism, right? And all through college, I studied like Faulkner and Hemingway and T.S. Eliot, like all of those dudes. I was going to be the preeminent like William Faulkner scholar. And that was the end goal. And it turns out that like, that doesn't pay that well. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> turns out, oh, so many listeners you know? are just like groaning in recognition in their cars right now. Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next? Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Readers, you've heard me talk about our modern Mrs. Darcy book club around here, so I'm thrilled to share that we now have an app. Get notifications you'll actually want with our new book club app. If you're ready for a life-giving alternative to scrolling social, our book club community is the place for you. Make meaningful connections, chat about what you're reading lately, and get non-sponsored suggestions from fellow book lovers. Of course, that's all on top of our monthly book club picks and regular classes for your reading life. Get book club in your pocket with the Modern Mrs. Darcy book club app, available on both iPhone and Android. Find all the details at modernmrsdarcy.com slash app. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. Here in January, I'm at what feels like a hinge point in my reading life. Looking back with gratitude and perhaps a touch of anxiety at the year gone by and looking ahead with great anticipation for all the good books on the horizon. Today, we want to stop and highlight some under-the-radar 2022 titles you fear you may have missed, as well as share a sampling of some of the great reads 2023 has in store. I'm so pleased to welcome Andrew Limbong to the show as my partner for this conversation. Andrew once thought he wanted to be the world's preeminent William Faulkner scholar, and you'll hear a little about that today. But instead, he's now happily ensconced in the world of public radio, where he serves as a reporter for NBR's Culture Desk and hosts their Book of the Day podcast. I'm so glad he's joining me today to talk about a host of great reads, be they past, present, or future. Let's get to it. Andrew, welcome to the show. Yo, hey, Anne, what's up? How you doing? I am so excited to talk books with you today. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm happy to be here. All right, Andrew, you are a professional radio person. And I think by extension, because of the shows you do at NPR, we can call you a professional book person. Is that accurate? I mean, if we're going by titles, sure. Yeah, that works. (laughs) We only put so much stock in titles around here. Yeah, yeah. Titles only begin to cover it. But tell us a little bit about what you do at NPR. So the funny thing about my sort of like public radio journey was that it was kind of an accident. The whole game plan was I wanted to be like an English professor, right? I wanted to be an English teacher. We love to hear it, Andrew. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I didn't get there thanks to like a couple of reasons. Yeah. Like ever since I was like, I think like a teenager, I was just like in love with like American modernism, right? And all through college, I studied like Faulkner and Hemingway and T.S. Eliot, like all those dudes. And like that was like I was going to be the preeminent like William Faulkner scholar. And that was the end goal. And it turns out that like 
that doesn't pay that well. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, so many listeners you know? are just like groaning and recognition in their cards right now. Yeah. Yeah. You go, you don't, you can't go on like Craigslist.com and be like, William Faulkner scholars, let's see what jobs are open, <laughs> open for that. <laughs> yeah. And then I also think I completely like goofed on the GREs and I was like, I was just like, oh, buddy, whatever. <laughs> yeah. But meanwhile, like while I was like chasing that dream, I like gotten into like public radio. And then, you know, I started interning at All Things Considered. The sort of short story of how I found out about public radio was that, like, I was never one of those, like, backseat baby type kids. Like, I only found out about NPR, I think I was, like, a like a junior in college or whatever. And then my buddy, they're like, I think I want to be, like, an engineer in public radio. And I was like, oh, what's that? And they were telling me about it, what it was. And, you know, they're the sort of friend where I was like, hmm. I could do that better than you, you know, for, for like no reason. You know what I mean? It's just like complete, like Eric is like, oh, I just heard about this thing that you're telling me about. I'll, I can do that better than you. <laughs> it's just so stupid. Um, and so, yeah, I find myself, I got an internship at All Things Considered. Again, this is only supposed to be temporary. The whole plan was to like go back to like apply to grad schools and do that whole thing. But when, you know, when I realized that that wouldn't pan out, I just started like, producing more for NPR. I was a producer for a daily talk show called Tell Me More. And then after that show got canceled, I ended up at what's now called the Culture Desk at NPR. And I started off as a producer doing a lot of like mixing of the pieces. So for non-audio people, it's like the reporter will like record the interview and record all the sound and stuff like that and work with the editor to write the script and all of that stuff. And then I come in and take the producer's tracks, right, their voice recordings and all the sound that they recorded and make it all like nice and neat and into the package. And so, yeah, that was my job for a while until I started becoming a reporter. Andrew, one of the shows that you are, I'm going to say responsible for, but you can correct me, at NPR is the Book of the Day podcast, something that, as you can imagine, holds great appeal for our listeners. So tell me a little bit (laughs) about your role in that. Yeah, so I'm the host of the Book of the Day podcast, and we've been trying to think at NPR long and hard about how to make like a sustainable books podcast. And the thing you know, about NPR's coverage of books is that we have so many interviews. Like, all of our hosts have, like, all these different interests, right, and their own sort of tastes, and the producers have their own tastes, and everybody sort of chases their own thing. And so, I'll be real, like, we produce a lot of content, and it's, like, it's kind of hard for me to even, like, listen to all of it, right? And so, like, I can't imagine, I mean, there might be, like, God bless you, some of the diehards out here listening to all, like, Morning Edition every day and ATC every day and Here and Now every day. But I think a lot of times these interviews sort of, um, you know, get, like, lost in the shuffle, right? It's easy to miss, right? And so what we do on Book of the Day is that every day we, like, highlight one of these interviews that we do in the building and to just, like, make sure they get their due shine, you know, and, like, make sure that, like, our listeners can really appreciate what they have to say because... My favorite episodes of the Book of the Day podcast are most of the time we'll talk about like the buzzy books of the day and especially any news related books, right? You know, politicians always come out with their memoirs and people have, you know, books touching out on like climate change and all that stuff. My favorite stuff is when we go back to the archives and when we can find a reason to pull out an interview from like the 80s or the 90s or whatever, because I I find that so illuminating and both like (laughs) both hopeful and discouraging, you know, Mm -hmm. it's sort of like, oh, things don't change. Like, these problems have always, like, been around with us. And then it's like, bro, these problems, (laughs) we haven't solved this yet? We haven't figured this one out? You know what I mean? All these years? And so, yeah, the podcast is a great way of just, like, sitting down with, like, an eight-minute or so interview that hopefully you wouldn't have heard anywhere else. Yeah, and I love that you're hinting at the importance and the enjoyment of going back to your archives. Although that's a little further back than I expected. We're going a little back in time today. (laughs) Yeah. Andrew, because of the nature of your work, you are in conversation with many of the authors who are writing books that we just love to read as What Should I Read Next listeners. Is there a conversation or moment that particularly stands out that you've been a part of? Anybody who's done production knows that you have to like BS with your recording guests before like the actual recording starts. On the one hand, you're just like making chit chat, right? And these are conversations that like these authors probably would never remember like I remember I was like 20 something and this is still at my you know wanting to do the grad school PhD thing and like I was producing an interview with Luis Erdrich I guess this would have been from like the roundhouse years I think that's and like you know we were we were just like doing sound check and like waiting for the host to come in when you do sound check and radio you like ask them either like I like asking 
what their favorite shoes are or what their first car was or like what you had for breakfast and that sort of thing. And we just had like a like a really pleasant conversation. And I was just like starstruck, you know, just like she's just a person. She, you know, you know what I mean? She eats breakfast too, right? And I was like, oh, I was like, I can't believe I'm not asking, you know, Lou Sergic about like whatever it was. <laughs> yeah. And like, I remember there's like an interview we were doing with like Nikki Giovanni over the phone. And I think she was like vacuuming. <laughs> That's so adorably relatable. I know. I know. But then I had to be like, uh, like, you know, just like a young, like, production assistant, uh, like, excuse me, Mr. you know, Giovanni, do you mind not vacuuming during the interview? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and of course she did. She was like, oh, yeah, totally. Like, yeah, I obviously wasn't going to do this today. But I was like, ah. <laughs> Our listeners often say any job with the word book or art in the job description is their dream job. And we hear things like, oh, if I could ask Louise Penny, one question, or Emily Henry, one question, or Tiari Jones, one question, what would it be? And mm-hmm. it's so true. Like, listeners, this is what we do at What Should I Read Next, too. When you're checking audio, it's like, hey, how's your day going? What'd you have for breakfast? <laughs> what's, yeah. what's your favorite thing about Tuesdays? I mean, these are the conversations yeah. that we actually end up having. You can ask Tiari yeah. Jones one question. It's like, so tell me about your mic. Yeah. And it's so funny because, like, I don't know if you notice this with your interviews that you do, that it's sometimes it's subtle, but like, their voice kind of changes sometimes once you hit like the record. You know what I mean? Like sometimes they'll be at like one register and then they like do the, okay, so here's my interview voice. And it's it's <laughs> fascinating. And like I find my goal as a as an interim reporter sometimes is to try to bridge that gap. You know, it's like, let's talk to the the person from before we hit record. Like, can we is that guy available? You know, is that dude around? <laughs> so that you feel like you're talking to the person and not I mean we want our authors to be professional, but yes, to feel like you can crack that veneer and have like a conversation like two friends over coffee. Yeah, exactly. Well, Andrew, your job is in a very real sense books. So of course, I'd love to hear what is your reading life like these days? So I I live in Baltimore. Before the pandemic, I used to like commute down to DC every day. And that means I usually have to like have to get up at five. So I figured that when the pandemic hit, it was only going to be like, you know, a week, two weeks, <laughs> like the rest of us, we didn't know what the hell was going I on. I remember those days. And I was like, oh, I don't want to like go sleep in. So I don't want to like lose like my sleeping habits or whatever. And so I just started like, you know, I did, oh my God, my morning routine is going to make me sound like such a, <laughs> such a like American psycho jock. But like, <laughs> you know, I'll, I can't wait to hear. You know, I'll wake up, I'll do the dishes from the night before. I'll like work out a little bit and then like take a shower. And then I spend like, a half an hour to 45 minutes like reading and like that's like my nice like reading nook time in the morning like my wife and I will sit on the couch we'll drink our coffee and we're just like you know sit and read our books until like whoever gets to like a natural stopping point first and then like gets up and starts breakfast mm-hmm. that's how we started our day pretty much from the pandemic up until you know relatively recently oh I'm happy for you that sounds amazing and I'm also yeah. a little bit wistful for you because I know what's coming in your life so okay carry <laughs> yeah. on keep talking two things sort of like threw a wrench into that I had a marathon in the fall and so like I realized I did, just did some like math about like when I could run and so like I had to move that to the mornings which meant goodbye like reading mornings for a little bit um, and now <laughs> it turns out I'm gonna have a kid in like February and so a lot of my mornings have been taken up by like we got to get the room together, you know? Like, I've been, like, painting a lot <laughs> these weeks. Um, apparently, like, I don't know, babies like their rooms to have heat, I hear. You know, that's the <laughs> word on the street, is that the room should be warm. Uh, who knows? That's news to me, and I got to figure that out now, <laughs> you know? And so my life has gotten, like, a scooch bit busier, um, and I imagine it'll only get busier in the next couple months. I try to carve out some, like, time reading for pleasure when I can. Andrew, what are you drawn to as a reader? As a reader, my tastes lean towards like the literary fiction side of things. Mm-hmm. I love stories where it's like um like a dude is sad, goes on a journey <laughs> and like oh, it I doesn't love that fix description. It. You know what I mean? Just like it's <laughs> yeah. like, huh, me doing this stupid thing didn't fix my sadness. Huh, figure that. And then like the end. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's generally my my taste in books. Like, what is the quintessential a dude is sad book? The quintessential, like, a dude is sad book, I think, um, like, Kazuo Ishiguro's The Remains of the Day, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if you've read it. I have. And, like, pretty recently, too, actually. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, Ishiguro is one of those authors that I feel like I really wanted to read in my lifetime, and I had only read 
never let me go. So I'd been working uh, my way through his catalog. So just read that maybe three years ago. Oh, but it oh, still feels really fresh because that one hurts. Yeah. It sticks with it's you. It's so good. My guy's like, I don't even know if he's sad. He's just like, huh, let me just go on this road trip or <laughs> whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, it's, and it's just like wandering around and like, you know, reliving, reliving his like memories and realizing like, oh, Oh really? You know what I mean? And, and like, I think that is the quintessential like "dude is sad" type of book. Mm-hmm. And I'm using "dude" in a very gender neutral way here. Like, I love anybody being sad. <laughs> you know. That is interesting to note, Andrew. One of the ways that we often get to know our guests on what should I read next is through the lens of the books that they enjoy and don't enjoy. Like one of our common episode formats is something that we call literary matchmaking, where a reader tells me three books they love, one book they don't, and what they're reading now or just finished. And that's how we get some insight into who you are as a person, as well as what you're drawn to in your reading life. I would love if you could share three books that you love when you don't and what you've been reading lately. You up for it? Yes, absolutely. Throughout history, royals across the world were notorious for incest. They married their own relatives in order to consolidate power and keep their blood blue. But they were oblivious to the havoc all this inbreeding was having on the health of their offspring. From Egyptian pharaohs marrying their own sisters to the Habsburgs' notoriously oversized lower jaws. I explore the most shocking incestuous relationships and tragically inbred individuals in royal history. And that's just episode one. On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. I'm Lindsay Holiday, and I'm spilling the tea on history. Join me every Tuesday for new episodes of the History Tea Time podcast, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Andrew, what's the first book you love? I'll give you my sort of like uh, Mount Rushmore. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I guess it's only three. Three book Mount Rushmore that have been very like formative in my life. I think my first book, we got to take it back to Big Billy Fox, William Faulkner's The Sound and the Fury. Shout out Mr. Milkman, AP English, Midwood High School, like holding my hand through dear life reading that book. That book, bro. First of all, I don't know what this guy's doing assigning this book to a bunch of 17-year-olds. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Could not like have a more complicated book. But that class really helped me, like, teach me how to read, kind of, in, in a lot of ways. And I, and I hold that book close to my heart because of that. And it showed me how complicated and weird, like, books can get. Because I think up until then, I'd pretty much read, like, straightforward narrative books that, you know, I, I liked just fine. But, like, this book was, like, showed me, like, almost like a 3D version. Like, I'd been living in 2D and now I'm in 3D. And I was like, this is what you could do? You're allowed to do this? What? And I'd been obsessed with like off the wall like I think when I read it I was like in the middle of like playing like Metal Gear Solid 2 on PlayStation 2 which is a really like fun game by Hideo Kojima and like he he's another like experimental storyteller and you know reading The Sound of the Fury like broke my brain in a similar way that playing Metal Gear Solid 2 did. Andrew you do not even know how relatable that is I mean mine is the <laughs> PlayStation 2 but The Sound of the Fury takes me straight uh-huh. back to Mr. Kolb's senior English class And I can't remember if it was assigned to our whole class or if it was like an independent choice read that I chose. Uh But I remember, I just remember (laughs) me at his desk going, Mr. Culp, Mr. Culp. What the hell is is going on here? Yeah, (laughs) this is what I think is happening, but there's no way. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. I haven't read it in a minute. Have you reread it in a while? I haven't read it since. I've read a little Faulkner since, but not in the past 10 years. 
It's been a long time. And I might have felt differently about Faulkner as a high school senior than I feel now. Oh, true, true, true. Yeah. I read recently, I read Absalom, Absalom, mm-hmm. and it was good. It whipped. <laughs> it rocked. I remember yeah. trying that one in high school or college. I didn't make it through that one, Andrew. Yeah, no, I have like in those early pandemic months, a big like reading to do list was like tackling the books that I've tried and failed. <laughs> Not failed, well, you know, but you know, tried and like. Is just early pandemic the right time for that? I mean, maybe I mean, it is, but yeah, I, don't know. I had some free time on my hand. And like all of a sudden, my commute was gone. So I was like, all right, let me let me tackle this Absalom Absalom book. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. I love that since you are not currently the world's greatest Faulkner expert, uh-huh. that you at least are able to introduce him here. So thank you for sharing that title with us. Who do you think has that title now? I'm coming at you. All right. I'm, I'm coming <laughs> I don't at know. you. It sounds, like, it sounds like your days are pretty busy. <laughs> yeah. You've, you've got to get that baby heat. Right. True, true, true. I guess that comes first. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Andrew, tell me about another book that you really love. This one I read in my 20s is Edwidge Danticat's Crick Crack. It's this beautiful short story collection that I think unlocked a lot of thoughts in my brain about like immigration and why people leave like their home countries and things like that. And sort of like the disconnect of like what they're leaving. And it also as a, you know, bit of form, I think the short story collection sometimes gets ha 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 short shrift. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this one was like so thematically cohesive that again in a similar way from like the sound of fury like showed what a short story collection could be it doesn't just have to be like oh yeah here's the stories that were published in like the new yorker and the paris review from like you know 97 to like oh oh eight or whatever right you know it can be like a much more thoughtful and cohesive book um, mm-hmm. and it made me just like appreciate the form of the short story like quite a bit yeah Yeah, I'm so glad you chose that. What's the final book that you love? The final book that I love, uh, we had talked about before, was uh, The Remains of the Day by Ishiguro. That book got me out of a pretty harsh reading slump I was in, just because, you know, life, as you do, like life gets in the way and stuff like that. I'd been reading pretty much only books for work, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, not reading you know, that much for myself. And I and I think th- this might have been after he won the Nobel, possibly, mm-hmm. that I decided to pick him up, actually, and, like, give him an honest go. And, yeah, l- like I said, it just, like, hit all of my buttons. And I've since, like, gone through most of his bibliography. I think I've still got one or two left to knock out. And it's just such a masterful way of looking at memory, right? That's, like, the big theme of his, his work is, like, looking back at the past and stuff like that. And in a lot of ways... You could say the same thing about Faulkner and Dante Gott. Like, all these people are examining what a previous life looks like and how that impacts them today. And I guess, you know, now that I'm thinking about this now, maybe that's also why I love, like, listening to the Book of the Day episodes when we go back into the past so much, because history rhymes, right? It's got that wistfulness for the time gone by. Yeah. Oh, and they're all so beautiful and so sad. Yeah. Which sounds like that's your jam. That does, yeah. Every like piece of media, like I think we were just watching Rami, the season that's just come out with my wife, and we were just like, "Is this really much all we watch? Just like kind of wistful and sad downers?" And I was like, "Yeah, it's either like that or like Love Is Blind." You know, <laughs> I think we're just like two sides of the same coin. I guess it's good to know what you like, Andrew. Tell me about a book that didn't land for you. So after I read The Remains of the Day, um, I went through like the Ishiguro like back catalog and I've loved most of everything that I've read. One I didn't like was Never Let Me Go. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to hear what you thought about it. Because like a part of me, I feel like it was um, literary writer giving sci-fi a shot and not like respecting the genre. But like, you know, I don't, I don't know if that vibe fits. It's been a minute since I tried it. I really enjoyed that book, which like speaking of works that are devastating and sad, it's one that I read when I was young and then revisited for our Modern Mrs. Darcy book club recently. And more than almost any other book I've read, that's one where I want to say listeners, like you do not want to know how the story unfolds until it unfolds in front of you. Usually I think a spoiler can actually sometimes clue you in to the reading experience so you know what to expect. Like makes you and, read more like in, you know, consciously right, about like what's right, going Right, it helps on, you yeah. read more closely on your first pass, which might be your only journey through a book. But, oh, you don't want to know what's going in there. 
I hear what you're saying. I can hear that there could be a real argument there that this is an author who's playing it sci-fi, but not really respecting the way the genre ought to function. And also as much as that book gutted me and I don't really wish to revisit it anytime soon for that reason, I really love the reading experience. All right, maybe I'll give it another shot. I've been apprehensive about trying out his like other forays into into non. I guess they're quite literary. It's such a blurry line. I feel like talking about like book genres kind of sometimes feels like talking about music genres, right? When people, mm-hmm. when like absolute loser nerds like me are like, um, that's not post hardcore. That's actually you know like indie rock. It's like, bro, who cares? <laughs> like, who cares, dude? <laughs> But yeah, my feelings about Never Let Me Go has had me like kind of on pause about reading like Clown the Sun or The Buried Giant, but maybe I should just I should just do it. I feel like you should just do it. Not because of all the works that you have to choose from, Ishiguro is definitely at the very top for you, but because you just said five minutes ago that you're really interested in making your way through his entire catalog. So Andrew, they're waiting for yeah. you. Do it, do it. I know. All right, fine. <laughs> Well, and I also think it can be really instructive. Like maybe Never Let Me Go is one that's just not right for you. And when we love an author's works on the whole, but there's one book that just doesn't work for us, I think we have the opportunity to learn so much about ourselves as a reader. Mm -hmm. Are you a big reading the full bibliography type person? Only occasionally. Like I had a project in 2022 where I did aim to read through the complete works of some authors I loved, but that was mostly for my own enjoyment, not because... I have a compulsive need to tick all the boxes in a particular column. Who are the authors? Well, the ones I was going to read were Elizabeth Strout, Maggie O'Farrell, uh-huh. Tiari Jones, and Doris Kearns Goodwin. Uh-huh. So I did Maggie O'Farrell. Love her. Didn't love all her works equally. So that was extremely illuminating for me. Doris Kearns Goodwin writes these 600 to 1,000 page biographies. And I realized... I don't want to read those all in a year. I want to read one of those a year. I can read them faster than she can write them and I'll catch up eventually and then I'll be happy. But I still need to finish some Tiari Jones and Stroud. Just a little. I think I have one more book for each. I feel like you learn a lot more about what you like and what you don't like when you're just like bouncing the ball off the same wall. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's very true. Oh, gosh, I'm a liberal arts major, Andrew, which I know you're not shocked to find out. But fiction is so infinitely variable. And yet it feels like you're controlling for more variables than you're typically able to do with especially fiction. Andrew, what are you in the middle of right now? I'm now like low-key embarrassed about how dad I'm about to sound right now. Andrew, you're about to be a dad. That's okay. Let's hear it. I know. Um, I am in the middle of Robert Caro's The Power Broker. Like every other DC Dockers wearing dork in the world, I hit 30 and I was like, got really interested in like city planning. (laughs) 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 You know, unfortunately, I'm not cool anymore. I'm washed and I'm into reading about this dude building roads. Yeah. (laughs) I have to tell you something. Yeah. My like one nonfiction nerdy niche Deep love is urban planning. Although I haven't read that book yet. Like, I think Walkable City by Jeff Speck is my personal favorite. Oh, wow. Yeah. But yeah, all the books about roads and sidewalks and safety and community. Yeah, I gobbled them up. Yeah, I think it was only because like I got like a YouTube video recommended to me by like you know some city planner and, and like that. Caught, like I'm now down like my YouTube algorithm oh, is we like. We should compare playlists. Yeah, it's like how to paint rooms and like how to fix like cities. <laughs> You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. If you see anything good that can address the crosswalk situation in my neighborhood, just send them. Send them and I'll just forward them on to my community people. Yeah. Now now with like this kid of the way, because I live on like kind of a busy intersection, I'm just like, mm-hmm. oh, do I got to like join a neighborhood committee? Oh, brother. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, oh, reading can boy. lead you to dangerous places. It is yeah, true. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've been chipping away at the power broker. And so like when I'm in between books, I like revisit it. Um, And so like I am in the middle of the power broker and I feel like I will be in the middle of it for the foreseeable future, <laughs> it looks like. That is a big book. Yeah, I'm trying to take it in chunks, but yeah, it is. Andrew, you have already mentioned that you enjoy going back in the archives of your NPR author interviews. Well, our listeners are incredibly enthusiastic about reading backlist titles and hidden gems that fly under the radar. And this is in marked and often stated contrast to feeling like they see the same titles cropping up on Bookstagram every single day, and they feel like they want to seek out the books that really are worthy of their reading time and not just the one getting the big publicity push. So Andrew, 
I would like to stop at this not quite hinge point, but close between 2022 and 2023 to talk about some of the wonderful 2022 releases that we really don't want readers to miss. Here, I'd be I'd be remiss not to mention NPR's books we love. What what I what I like about it so much, um, and I'm not just being like a company person here, is that like it's not us coming down, you know, from on high and be like, here are the ten books you need to read in 2022. Instead, it's like 400 plus books that you can use these filters to sort of like pick what you like and then find it from there. And also very helpful is it it goes back to like 2013 or whatever. So there's a wide you know breadth of books to pick is that like not every book is going to be for you on on that thing. Um, but, you know, everyone should find something to read, especially stuff that's like, you know, not like a, a long listed for the NBA or whatever, which, you know. I like. And so, yeah, one of the books I, I want to shout out is this book called Diary of a Void by Emmy Yagi. No, are you serious? Yeah, why? Because that's on my list. Oh, really? <laughs> I love it. I love that we both chose this. Okay, tell us about Diary of a Void. <laughs> okay, so it's a book by Emmy Yagi. She, she's a, I think she's like an editor at a women's magazine in Japan. And this book just got translated and published in, here in the States uh, in 2022. And it's about this woman who works in an office and she gets so annoyed and fed up by doing all of the like unspoken and unpaid labor women often have to do um, in offices. You know, it's like taking notes at meetings or like cleaning up after everybody and stuff like that. And so she just tells everyone that she's pregnant. <laughs> to, to get out of it and it's very funny it, it kind of actually low-key reminds me of like office space a bit in this sort of like quote-unquote quiet quitting that she does mm-hmm. um but then i think it gets weird i've been telling people that like i think that she thinks she like falls for her lie a little bit too hard but i'm curious about what you think it gets so weird like it gets a little bit like magical fantastical yeah yeah i like that description but it's also, like I said, it does remind me of Office Space where it's like actually very funny. And I definitely like laughed out loud at a couple of the lines. I love how the premise feels on the one hand a little bit far-fetched, but then the other, it's just so relatable. I can 100% mm-hmm. buy that in the moment, telling everybody, I know I can't clear your tea dishes again because I'm pregnant and like y'all, <laughs> yeah, your, your stuff <laughs> reeks. I can't handle it. Like completely relatable. Yeah. Yeah. But then she really lives into her lie like she wants to make it real she wants to sell it Mm -hmm. and yeah it goes into interesting places i'm so glad you chose this so readers we have tried to do our part here on what should i read next for this not to fly below the radar we talked about it in episode 336 which is called find your audiobook formula but andrew i'm so curious to hear why you think readers may have missed this one well one there were so many amazing titles in 2022 this huge backlog of pandemic books was being published there really are more titles available and also i think that readers either don't pay attention to or intimidated by works in translation yeah that's what i was going to say like translated literature i think kind of has like an uphill fight to climb to get to like the attention that i think you know could use our help Yes. And I think that so many readers find it's so worth it because Diary of a Void is not like any of the other books you've read this year. And books that really stick with us that are really memorable are those ones that do have the ability to surprise and delight. So I hope that some of these books in translation and also some of these ones we're calling out today are ones that you will consider putting on your priority to be read list. I want to share, I can't believe I'm sharing this one, but Lark Ascending by Silas House is one that I have been really surprised to not see and for the sales numbers to be a lot lower than I would have anticipated. And the reason I'm saying I can't believe I'm sharing it is how could you miss a Silas House book? But this one came (laughs) out in late September. It has serious echoes of the dog stars and the road. It's dystopian. It has a young protagonist who, Andrew, is telling this story as a wistful old man looking back Mm. over this tragic and also beautiful time. But this is dystopian. It's very similar, I think, in feel, though not in the specific story, to Celeste Eng's new book, Our Missing Hearts, which Mm -hmm. is selling a bajillion copies. So if you read that and you think, well, now what do I want to read next? I love that vibe. The answer might be Lark Ascending. It's set in the dystopian, not too far in the future, United States, where fires have ravaged everything. And Lark, this young man, is one of the last teenage refugees to flee Maine, where they have sought shelter and enjoyed a really lovely few years, to try to find refuge in Ireland, one of the last countries rumored to be accepting refugees. But when he gets there, 
terrible things happen. So he's just got this beautiful, wistful prose. This is also an LGBTQ plus love story. There's a dog in this book who will steal your heart, a beagle named Seamus. It's, it's got a lot. I wouldn't want the reader who's thinking that sounds amazing. If you're thinking that right now, I really want you to check out Larkus and <laughs> Yeah. Do you find that there's been a lot of like recent, like not too distant future dystopian novels? Yes. It's been really interesting to me to see how some of the authors I've read for a long time are responding to current events and how that's impacting their fiction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. I, I feel like dystopian novels usually would be like, oh, in some far off distant future, you know, <laughs> and then now that timeline is like shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. It's like, oh, so like tomorrow. the <laughs> <laughs> um, It does make me think sometimes that I would like, if I'm going to read dystopian, I want it to be completely unrelatable. Please. Yeah. <laughs> All right, your turn, Andrew. All right. This next book I've got is a a philosophy arguments book. It's called Elite Capture, How the Powerful Took Over Identity Politics and Everything Else by Olufemi Otaiwo. It's one of those, you know, lefty books. I think it's from like Haymarket Publishing. Yeah, Haymarket Books. I picked it up at my, you know, shout out Red Emma's. It's the local radical bookstore where I live. It's a sort of philosophical take on how... The language of marginalized people so often gets co-opted by powerful forces to use, like, against said marginalized people, right? And I think you can see this pretty much, like, everywhere, especially, like, after, like, you know, 2020 and, like, the protests after George Floyd. And then you see, like, some, like, major company try to <laughs> try, try to use some, like, sloganeering that's like, yeah, interesting. <laughs> but, you know, the argument Tyro makes is that, like, this is almost a pattern that's gone on all throughout history. And it's not surprising, but, like, once you start seeing it, you can, like, see it everywhere. And I think sometimes philosophy slash politics slash argument books can be like hard to swallow like it's it's not like a spicy thing to be like hey read read this like kind of luxury book but it doesn't like come off as a lecture I, I promise like it's a pretty easy digestible read that like poses some interesting questions I love that you chose something from a small press because those books are so easy to miss they don't have the budget for big publicity and unless mm-hmm. you hear about a book like this from another reader you know and trust or from a bookstore or other outlet you pay attention to you're going to miss it completely so I'm so glad you shared that today yeah okay I want to share gotta go in a different direction how about historical fiction so readers who read a ton of books often love historical fiction so let me try to slide one in that you might not be familiar (laughs) with this is Catherine J. Chen's new novel Joan it came out in July, and this is the story of Joan of Arc, which Chen obviously has her historical material to work with. And it's interesting the way that she incorporates those more trusted historical narratives into every chapter of her book. But she also gives Joan a really powerful backstory here to show why this young woman was able to present herself to her ruler and say, Majesty, you're saying what you need. I can fight. And what she gives her is a really difficult childhood, like an abusive father. Her sister is sexually assaulted by English soldiers when they enter her village on a raid. And they give Joan this, I almost said quiet anger. They give Joan this anger and determination. And Chen really shows how that origin story really impacted her. I thought it was so interesting that this book was blurbed by Hilary Mantel. And I only put so much credence in those blurbs. But I feel like those Wolf Hall titles are such a good comparison here because they both have just gorgeous, lush, descriptive prose that gives you this immediate visceral feel. Like you feel like you are right there in the story that happened centuries ago. Yeah, I don't want readers to miss this one. Yeah, it got, you think it got like overshadowed a bit? I think there was just so much coming out that I don't feel like I saw it. I don't think I heard readers talking about it. And Andrew, our job is to like kind of have an ear to the ground about what readers are actually reading. Yeah. So I hope today we're able to share some that not as many readers are actually reading yet. Okay. Do you want to do one more each? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. My next pick is uh, Kate Beaton's Ducks. It's a graphic memoir. When it came out, there were heads calling it like the best graphic novel of 2022 and stuff like that. But I think it's just like straight up like one of my favorite like books of 2022 full stop. Kate Beaton, she she did that comic, that web comic called Hark a Vagrant mm-hmm. back in the day. But this is a sort of graphic memoir about her time after college mining in the oil sands of northern Canada. And it's such a beautiful 
tale about like the economic forces that push people into taking these like kind of crappy jobs that you know a are bad for the environment b are bad for the land that like didn't belong to them and c like she she was there surrounded by men and a lot of like heinous and hard stuff happens to her but beaten is like super empathetic about it right she she doesn't like she doesn't excuse and she doesn't forgive but she like gives you a deeper understanding as to like why everything like this happened and it's a book that like really really stuck with me like ever since i'd read it and i and i think you know easily like number one with a bullet my favorite book of the year and like i, I didn't i didn't see it on any of like the you know the big lists uh, that people were putting out and i just want to make sure like that gets shouted out too well that's exactly the kind of thing we want to hear about today okay the one i'm going to share is last summer on state street by toya wolf this is a debut coming of age novel and Andrew, I think it would have been so easy for me to miss this one because this is a book I was drawn to 100% because of the cover. Caught my eye, picked it up and thought, that sounds great. But I only read so many books and the cover is something I only put so much credence in, but I'm so glad it caught my eye. I mean, it's not that long ago. It's not historical fiction, but it almost feels that way because it feels so much of a different place in time. And that is the housing projects of 1990s Chicago. But this is a wistful, wow, we have a theme going here, a like sad mm-hmm. and wistful story. A woman who has grown to some degree, I mean, she's probably our age, is looking back over everything that happened over the course of one summer when she was 11. So there's this group of three girls in the housing project. They formed a comfortable trio and they spend their days double dutching on the hot concrete while their neighbors are all watching. But everyone is about to be displaced because their buildings are being torn down. And if they're lucky, they will be officially transferred to a different apartment block. But a new girl joins the friend group. And that is just the beginning of everything getting massively disrupted, not just in their community that was already happening, but also in their individual friendships and families. And it's debut. Yeah. And it's small and short. It's 200 pages. Readers, you could have an exquisite reading experience in a economical amount of time. I love a short book, dude. (laughs) I love a short book. I mean, some of my favorites of 2022 are long. But I mean, a book that feels exactly as long as it's supposed to be. Uh But also, I don't know, I think it hits you differently if you can read it like in a sitting or two on the couch. I think that might make for a stronger emotional impact. Oh, absolutely agree. Yeah. But oh, this one has impact. Let Mysteries at Midnight be your destination for detective whodunits and captivating mystery stories. You'll hear classic stories like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie's Poirot, and short tales from H.G. Wells, Charles Dickens, Edgar Allan Poe, and others. I'm Christopher, and I read these classic stories in the soothing style of a bedtime story, so you can listen to them in bed when you drift off to sleep. I also host the number one sleep podcast in the world called Sleep Cove, where millions drift off to meditations hypnosis and bedtime stories. We soon realised that listeners wanted to hear our mystery stories all in one place. So we created Mysteries at Midnight, where you can listen to all new tales every week. Search for Mysteries at Midnight on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or your favourite podcast app and follow and subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. So why don't you pick a story now? And can you guess the twist? Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Sleep Cove podcast can help you. Hi, I'm Christopher Fitton, the voice and clinical hypnotherapist behind Sleep Cove. Sleep Cove features sleep hypnosis, meditations and bedtime stories, all designed to help those of you who struggle at night to achieve a restful and peaceful night's sleep. Search for Sleep Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see why Sleep Cove helps millions of people sleep deeply all night long. Andrew, it's true that we don't want readers to miss the great books from 2022, but also I can't not be excited about all the great books on the way in 2023. Are there a few titles that you're especially looking forward to? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I like that. Well, it's going to be very, uh, you know, we'll see if I get to them, like, come <laughs> come this year. But uh, so one of the books I'm super excited to read is this book called The Ringmaster by Abe Reisman. 
a Bryceman wrote a a pretty great biography of Stanley uh, a couple years ago, and she also she I think she comes from like New York Mag, um, where she also wrote a really great piece on Steve Ditko, who is the co-creator of Spider Man, um, who's like kind of like a low key shadowy libertarian. Ringmaster is a biography of Vince McMahon and his his influence over like the WWE. And I find I'm not even like that big of a wrestling person, but I find the world of wrestling so fascinating and how. Its influence in America is in American politics, American culture is pretty, you know, pretty apparent and pretty obvious. And I, you know, just tracing McMahon's like rise to power, I, I, I think it's a fascinating prism or a fascinating lens to, you know, just like look at like where we are in America today. Do you know when that's coming out? March. It's coming out in March. March, yeah. I have another March release for you, which is actually a nice follow-up to Last Summer on State Street, even though the tone is completely different. This is another Chicago story. It's the new novel from Anne Napolitano, the author of Dear Edward, which, readers, I know many of you loved. I was too terrified to read because it is a plane crash novel. But this new one is called Hello Beautiful. And this is the story of an Italian-American Chicago family. There are four daughters, and Napolitano has said this is an explicit homage to Louisa May Alcott's classic, Little Women. I just finished reading this last week. I did not want it to end. I loved it so much. This is a family story, and it's not just about the family. We meet a lot of other interesting characters who wander into these sisters' paths, but I just thought this was so well done. If you're looking for something along the lines of a complicated family story with a lot of emotional resonance... Andrew, can you tell what my jam totally is? <laughs> this is a great pick to keep your eye out for. Well, that's why 2022 was such a big year for you. I feel like there was tons of like intergenerational trauma family books. Yeah, a family is sad. That might be yeah. my, that, my <laughs> catnip. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, My next book, this is another very extreme, I guess I'm just like on my dad stuff right now, you know? Another nonfiction book, it's by James Risen. It's called The Last Honest Man. It's a book about a U.S. senator named Frank Church from Idaho. And he's a guy who was like vehemently opposed to the Vietnam War. And because of that, he got like kind of, kind of like targeted by the like sort of like surveillance state apparatus in the country. Right. So he he was just like out here, like exposing the NSA and FBI surveilling civil rights leaders. And he was out here like showing like plots from the CIA to assassinate people and all these other abuses of power from the government. And yeah, I don't know. I haven't I've read it yet. I'm, I'm hoping to, I'm to get my hands on it. I'm just like interested in the world today in which we talk about like conspiracy theorists, right? Um, and how like unhinged they, you know, they can be. I, I, I think it's easy to forget that like, yeah, so, some people up there are like <laughs> pulling some shady stuff, right? And all of that stuff is like backed up by rigorous reporting. And it's hard to sort of like find yourself like, I don't know when when people talk about conspiracy theorists in like in a condescending way. I sometimes like a part of me is like, well, you know, it's not like it's not like there are you know <laughs> you know what I mean. It seems like it's, there's lots of material for a really juicy nonfiction story here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I really love that you're bringing these kinds of books that you're jokingly calling dad books. So. I mean, they are right. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm about to be <laughs> like my. I don't know. It's like all of a sudden my reading taste is leaning towards like. <laughs> Like, yeah, like historical, like dad stuff that I I normally would, you know, poke fun at, be like, oh, who wants to read that? Boring. You know? I love that you can share those today. Okay, this is not a juicy family story. Another book that I cannot wait to read and I have not read yet is coming May 16th from RF Kuang. No, get out of it. Yo, yeah, bro, yeah, yeah. I'm going to screen cap my screen right here because that was going to be my next book to pick. <gasps> really? Yeah. I love it. I love that we're on the same wavelength there. Now, she's the author of Babel, which just came out in August. And talk about a book that did not fly beneath the radar in 2022. I love to see how many readers are gobbling that up. It is so like that book has burned through our entire team. There's so much to love about that book. But this new book coming in May is completely different. This one has the same kind of writing and insight that so many readers have come to know and love and trust they can expect from RF Kuang. And this book is set in the publishing industry. It's about um, two friends, listen to me, use that word with hesitation, um, who were the same year at Yale. Their debuts came out the same year in publishing. So when one girl dies, her friend impulsively thinks, there's a beautiful manuscript there. 
that's never going to get published. So maybe I should just snag it and maybe I could do something with it. And maybe I'll just use my own name. And I don't know. I can't wait to read it. Andrew, what would you add about this book? So I think it reminds me two things. It reminds me of light spoilers for season one of Mad Men, if, <laughs> if you need that. But it did give me big, like, Dick Whitman, Don Draper energy, right? Of, like, you know, taking an identity and, like, running with it and, like, seeing, like, what can happen there. Um, which I'm, like, I, I sort of, like, love that sort of stuff, right? And, and also, sometimes I like reading, like, negative, like, reviews on Goodreads. And I, and I read, like, so I think it was, like, a two-star review on Goodreads that called this book, like, oh, what was it? It was, like, hilarious to anyone who ever needed to close book Twitter and touch grass. And I was like, oh, that sounds like actually a plus in my book. <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I imagine, like, it's funny and, like, somewhat insidery if you, like, sort of know, the, if, like, if you know, you know type vibe. But I'm just excited to read it, yeah. Well, Andrew, I can't wait to hear what you think about Yellowface. As our send-off, Andrew, what book will you be reading next? Well, I've got a copy of this book called Baby 411. You know, that's a, <laughs> that's like on my bookshelf right now in case like, uh, this baby is a, like a, turning a weird color. Am I, is it time to panic now? Or whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I feel like that. Um, hopefully when I have some like actual reading time, I've got um, Laura Lippman's book, Lady in the Lake, sitting on, on my bookshelf. Mm-hmm. She is a cultural icon here in Baltimore, which I haven't read yet. And I, I've been excited to dive into her bibliography. Um, I think they they just wrapped up filming the TV show um, here in Baltimore for Lady in the Lake. I didn't know about that. That's fun. Mm-hmm. And hopefully I can get through the book before before the show comes out. I've actually been trying to make a concerted effort to get into more sort of like thriller type, like crime yeah. novel stuff. Yeah. Just because person being ponderous and sad it's like if i if i if i'm you know in between feedings i feel like i need something more like propulsive plot wise to sort of of keep me going you know what i mean and so yeah i i'm hoping to read some more like crime thriller stuff what's on your radar joe ide books right um that i've been meaning to read i've been reading to read like get through litman i think she's she's got like an absurd amount of books under her belt (laughs) she does i think i've read maybe four of them and so i I think that might be my vibe this coming year I love it. Okay. Andrew, thank you so much for talking books past, present, and future with me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Andrew. Follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Limbaugh. And while you're at it, Andrew suggests following your local public radio station as well. We are sharing the full list of titles from today's conversation on our website. That's at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 364. If you are not yet on our email list, pop over to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter to sign up for our free updates. And make sure you're following in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to give us a boost here at What Should I Read Next headquarters, thank you. Please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Your reviews help spread the book love and make it possible for more readers to find our show. Thanks in advance. We are so grateful. Tune in next week when I'll be talking with a British reader and bookish professional who is looking for some titles that will make her laugh out loud and give her the lighthearted distraction she's looking for in her reading these days. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is created each week by Will Bogle, Holly Wilkachevsky, and Studio D Podcast Productions. Sara Ader is our community manager. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. <laughs>